Deconstructionist Podcast is produced by Nicholas Rowe at the National Audio Preservation Society Recording Studio in Newark, Ohio. Follow us on social media at www.thedeconstructionist.com, on Facebook at Deconstructionist Podcast, Twitter at Deconstructcast, and Instagram at Deconstructionist Podcast. If listening to this podcast has benefited you in any way, please consider making a donation. The donate link is in the show notes, or you can visit our website and click the donate tab. Me from the deep. Will you draw the soil hard toward the shore? Will you draw the soil hard toward the shore? Hey, John. Hi, Adam. Pop quiz. Already. We've been doing this almost a year now. This is maybe the last episode of this 2016. Is, this is crazy. And if I was going to ask you, who's the one person's name that we've probably said or referenced more than any other on this entire podcast, who would it be? Are you talking about Papa Bear? <laughs> the man himself. You're talking about Papa Bear. <laughs> Our spiritual Yoda. I, I think at this point, there's only one person left, really. For us to get, I would have to say, could it be the big teddy bear? The man himself. The man himself, Richard Rohr. The friar. The, the father. Man. Father Rohr. Oh. Well, um, I just can't believe we're here. It is Christmas week. How did we do this? <laughs> Persistence. That's true. In this case, <laughs> we just didn't stop asking. Why do you keep saying no to us? <laughs> we just want to talk to you. <laughs> We should do like a, um, we should make the video for this one available for like, I don't know, a select few people that would actually appreciate it. We'll put that on the Patreon one day when Seriously. we finally get that thing I know, I know. <laughs> That's my goal one. for 2017. We'll for get that going. a special donation of $5, we'll send you the video of this. <laughs> Just kidding. So we got Richard Rohr today. Well, but welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast, everybody, by the way. Um, yeah. Merry, Merry Christmas. We got another present for you to unwrap yeah. right now. With your ears? Yeah, I know. It's like N.T. Wright. Last week was Barry Taylor. And we, we end the year with our last official episode with Father Richard Rohr. You're welcome. You're freaking welcome, don't, everybody. Don't tell me we didn't give you guys anything for Christmas this year, because we did. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so if you guys don't know who Father Rohr is, uh, <laughs> then you haven't been listening to our show. That's for sure. But yeah. Uh, he's a Franciscan priest in uh, New Mexico. Uh, he's the founder of the Center for Action and Contemplation in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, he, he teaches uh, courses out of there. He's a, um, the author of numerous books that have been quoted numerous times on this show, uh, from Falling Upward, which is uh, ultimately the book that started this whole thing, uh, to uh, Breathing you Underwater. Our, you mean our podcast? Yeah. 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 
um, The Divine Dance, uh, which is his newest one. Uh, it's about the Trinity. Um, you know, he, he's got other ones, Immortal Diamond, uh, Everything Belongs, uh, The Naked Now, another favorite of, of, the, of his books that we've read. Um, just a ton of really, really good books and just probably the most enlightened human being I think I've ever been in the presence of. Oh, for sh- me? At this point in my life, mm-hmm. it's not even, I mean, it's not even contest. And yeah. I do feel like I'm a little bit on the, like the Richard Rohr bandwagon right now. I, I don't care. I'm going to stop by the gift shop. Oh, yeah. I'm going to buy a t-shirt and some matching pajamas. <laughs> Maybe some slippers. Yeah. A shot glass or a coffee mug or a spoon or whatever else they sell in there. I am so on the bandwagon. And I think the reason that so many like white, middle-class, evangelical people like me and you are jumping on the Richard Rohr bandwagon is because we're finding something here that we're just kind of not finding in a lot of other places. And that's somebody that is rooted into a tradition, mm-hmm. but seeing it in a way that maybe the, the power structures that be, be it, you know, either the Catholic church or the Protestant church or whatever, you know, the gospel coalition or mm-hmm. whatever, you know, powers, you know, uh, that be just, he, he's kind of just doing his own thing, man. And it's wonderful stuff that, you know, the contemplative tradition, the mystical approach, but not throwing theology out the window, but balancing it all with this rich, both philosophical and psychological understanding of things. I think Richard Rohr is just, uh, I I hope, I don't know. I hope, I hope the bandwagon gets bigger. Yeah. I think if they could scan, if Andrew Newberg, Dr. Newberg could scan his brain, (laughs) I would I would assume that everything in there is firing simultaneously. That's that was the vision. I was like, good lord, this guy is like he's operating on a whole other wavelength right now. Like it just and and to try to keep up with all his influences and all the things that he's pulling from. Uh, I, I know we we talk a little bit in the interview about um, you know Carl Rahner and mm-hmm. and uh, you know of course a lot of people have uh, compared him to kind of like the modern day uh, Merton mm-hmm. or Henry Nowen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but then like just some of the other tra- traditions outside of Christianity, um, you know, just having studied like Buddhism and Hinduism, um, there's a ton of like stuff from the uh, mysticism traditions within those religions that, that I, I, I sense in there. Yeah. And it's just like, I think we've talked about this before. There's this weird commonality between uh, I think people who are really just on that level who who see value and truth in in a lot of different traditions, and they are pulling from everywhere. Mm. And I, I completely sense that with him. Yeah, I agree. I think that uh, goes with the whole like everything belongs concept. Yes, that, you know that it, everything here has a purpose. Yeah, even evil. Yeah, even sin. Like it, if we believe in this thing that he talks about a lot in this interview and in his books, uh, this flow, um, God being this uh, all encompassing. Um, all redeeming thing, um, man. I could just keep going. We we should just let the man speak for himself. Yeah, this let's is do good that. Stuff. How about that? <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. I was trying to see that thoughts tra- train that I was that I was on, and I was like, I don't see the end of that thing. I need to stop talking now. <laughs> I better just stop. Never mind the fact that we're both just dragging our beaten bodies over the finish line <laughs> this year. Oh god, it's been a little rough. It has been, but this was worth it. Absolutely. Just this interview alone. <laughs> and seeing the look on John's face. Oh, my gosh. Which I'll probably tweet out at some point. Right <laughs> Please do. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, enjoy this interview, everyone. It is with great pleasure that we introduce you, Richard Freaking Roar.
Well, Father Richard Rohr, I cannot, I don't have an adequate greeting or salutation to welcome you to the Deconstructionist Podcast. This is a big deal for us, and I thank you so much for making time. Welcome with all our hearts. I'm very happy to be with you. Thank you. Oh, well, uh, I think it, this has been a long time coming because uh, uh, the listeners that we have who have been listening to us from the beginning know that you are easily the most quoted uh, individual on our show. So. Without a doubt. Yeah. So this is kind of a nice uh, treat. This will this will come out around Christmas time. So this will be a, a definitely a gift uh, to, to those listening. A little stocking so. stuffer. Yeah. So, so I think uh, bef- before we get, dive too deep into some of your material, obviously uh, one of the books uh, just quintessential in our lives uh, that we recommend highly constantly. Uh, before we get into falling upward, and obviously your your, your latest work, The Divine Dance. Uh, for our listeners who aren't familiar with you. Um, could you maybe give a little bit about your background and how you ended up becoming uh, okay. Father Roar? <laughs> well, I'm 73, so let's move backward from there. <laughs> I live here. This is a little tiny casita in New Mexico. Uh, the Franciscan church is across the way, and the community is over there. But they let me live here alone, which is sort of a privilege at the end of life to allow you to go a little deeper. So I think I've written my Best books right at this spot where we're sitting right now Aww. in my older years. Uh, but I became a, a Franciscan when I was a very young man, 19. And that's the way we did it in those years. I think they did it, frankly, before you'd meet a woman. They'd try to get you in the cemetery. <laughs> but uh, I can't complain. I've had a wonderful life. And my first... Uh, 15 years were in Cincinnati as a priest. I was ordained in 1970, so I was in your part of the world. Yep. Uh, took theology in Dayton, but uh, then in 86, uh, I had the vision for this place. I had been stationed here as a deacon at a Pueblo of Indians west of town here, and that's when I fell in love with New Mexico. So I uh, founded the center here, and that's also a decision I've never regretted. So the center is 30 years old this year, this fall. Wow. Uh, And we've gone through a lot of stages, a lot of growth. Many of those years I was on the road, uh, preaching around the world, teaching around the world, but I don't do that much anymore. I'm just sort of based here. Mm. So that's just a quick, you don't need to know anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Just want to ask something else you can, but I've had a wonderful life. Excellent. Well, um, like I said, I, I think Falling Upward is is uh, an incredible book that has uh, greatly influenced both Adam and I. Um, mm. I, I think for anyone who, um, Adam and I are both uh, in our mid to late 30s at this point, and, and I know you, you bring that point up in the book that um, there are two halves of life, and uh, uh, oftentimes that second half of life seems to kind of begin around your, your mid to late thirties where you start really taking the, the structure that you were given as a youth and, and start really, you know, starting to fill those wineskins, I think is the term that you use. Very good. Yeah. What does it all mean? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, You're so on the cusp, both of you. Very good. You, you kind of nailed us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so one, one of the things I think that is really important that you do in this book though, is you really define, um, this concept of myth. And uh, myth is something that comes up a lot on our show that we that we we try to define as best we can um, in terms of it being 
not necessarily factually true, but uh, in a sense, truer than true. And I was wondering if you could kind of put that in your own words and kind of explain what you mean. Yeah. Makes a lot of people nervous. Help us out with that. It's so unfortunate that so many major words, the meaning gets turned around 180 degrees to mean mm. the exact opposite. That's actually true of our word faith. Faith is clearly learning to live without knowing and trusting that God knows. Do you see? We turned it around 180 degrees, meaning a bunch of people walking around who were certain about everything. That's that destroyed the concept of biblical faith. But we did the same with the word myth. Myth was a classic word, mythos. In, in the original root of the Indo-European language, it's the sound of hushing your lips. Me. It means what you can't talk about, you know, what is unknowable. So it's supposed to give you uh, a re- respect for mystery, for darkness, you know. And uh, we turned it around. We made something that isn't true. In fact, you already said it, uh, John, it's something that's deeply true, always true, and all you can do is grasp at metaphors and grasp at different ways of saying the one great truth. So it gives you a humility, a true understanding of myth that I know I don't know, and therefore every little grabbing at it is another, oh, oh, it's an invitation. It's not a conclusion. Mm. See, what happened at the time of the Enlightenment in the 17th and 18th centuries in Europe, we Christians started feeling like we were really stupid because all these rationalists who created the universities at that time or who ran the universities, they uh, idealized the scientific mind. And I'm not saying that's wrong to have the scientific mind. But when you think it's the only mind, then you're in trouble. Mm. We started feeling guilty or stupid because we couldn't talk to these rationalists. So we became our own form of rationalism. (laughs) I know Mm. it doesn't look like it, but we wanted to be certain. We wanted to be absolutely certain. And that's the food fight we've been in for 300 years now, really. Yeah, yeah. And it's given Christianity a, a very defensive posture. Mm. Yeah, uh, uh, always circling the wagons around our little truth and saying all scientific and rational truth is wrong. And, of course, that can't be true. That's what I talk about in the book, uh, The Naked Now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, uh, yeah, myth is something that's profoundly true, always true, and every approximation will be an approximation and we can humbly uh, live with that. Wow. Uh, yeah. So good. It is so good. I mean, it's so good. It, it is. It just, it makes you honest about knowledge instead of arrogant. Mm. I think why so many people have dismissed us as Christians is because we look dishonest and arrogant. You know? Yeah. And we don't have to take that posture. We can be humble like Jesus was. Mm. When you know enough to know that you don't know, mm. that's spiritual knowing, you see. That's mythic knowing, symbolic knowing. And symbolic isn't a put-down. <laughs> that's the only way you can know great things is through symbols. You know? mm. It's always light. You, you're, you're familiar with Jesus' parables. 
where he's yeah. saying the kingdom is like. The kingdom is like. Uh, I think almost all of them begin that way. Mm. He came on, no, the kingdom is. No, the kingdom is like. It's mm. always wow. an approximation. You know, this is another metaphor. This is another metaphor. This is another metaphor. So, yeah, we, we're growing up finally, I think. <laughs> we, can, we can allow ourselves to talk that way and not think that it's a loss of faith. In fact, it's being honest about the great mystery and our human uh, inability to ever know perfectly. Mm. Wow. And once you see that, you, you find it so dense in the tradition. It's always been there. I know. I know. Ah. We just, well, see, we started, and you know I'm not anti-Protestant Reformation in, <laughs> in this sacred 500th anniversary year. But once we did divide into two major camps, and we each needed to prove that the other group was wrong, that's the death of spiritual knowing, it's mm. dualistic thinking, as I call it in the naked now. And dualistic thinking divides, and this is the only mind we have left. Republican, Democrat, as we've just learned, you know, mm. gay, straight, black, white, American, non-American, even male, female. Yes. Once you divide reality, you're simply, you're, you're choosing between two, and you got to choose one. That's a, mm. a, a roadmap to stupidity. You know, it really mm. Yes. Yeah. Because you think because you chose one side, you've chose truth. Mm. We just came through a whole year and a half of doing this in America and seeing it doesn't get us anywhere. You know? Good night. Yeah. yeah it's very Absolutely. Severe. So contemplative knowing or spiritual knowing, as Paul would speak of in Corinthians, is a different way of accessing reality than giving you two and choosing one that's what we call dualistic thinking we, we you leave the whole field wide open and you let god the moment reality come at you as it is and i don't need to figure it out to let it be what it is you see uh. that's so different than you and i were educated uh. yeah it's but, uh, so, you know, the group that's most open to it, if this is any consolation, I hope it is, most open to this teaching, according to my publishers, are young evangelical males. You're too- you, na- you nailed us again. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's all over. They, they come here all the time. Thirsty for it. For some reason, you are so ready for it. Open. So ready. Yeah, it's really beautiful. So thank you. Oh, no, thank you. That's a great segue into a question I've been really anxious to ask you. Um, We really look at you as sort of a spiritual director from afar through your works. And if we could, and, you know, maybe we will eventually be able to get out there. and Love that. that. (laughs) Thank you. you. Um, We recorded that, so we will take you up on that. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Um, I live long enough to meet you personally. Thank you. But as a spiritual director for us and uh, for the moment being, for our listeners uh, right now, this, this podcast is uh, tongue-in-cheek called The Deconstructionist Podcast. Yeah. And uh, as somebody that I just respect greatly and I'd like you to hold nothing back, we have a community here that has experienced maybe what you talk about in Falling Upward, experienced that sense of moreness or that sense of 
being unsatisfied with what they were given or that there might be another way of seeing it. And they rush, all of us, myself included, rush to this unknowing. We rush to this pulling things apart and looking at them and being very inquisitive and non-committal, not wanting to take a stance. And, you know, I would love it if you would offer us some caution, some direction, some warning, um, and just don't hold anything back, please. <laughs> well, what permission. Thank you. You know, I don't know if you've heard this. I've been using it with our students here in the living school just the last year or so. And it's going to sound almost childish at first, but trust me. Uh, picture three boxes. The first box is order. The second box is disorder. The third box is reorder. Now, your name is already building on this, so I think you understand it, at least unconsciously. Where we're all raised, if you're raised somewhat easily, let me just put it that way. Right. Mm -hmm. In the first box of order, that's what I'm saying and falling up. I was raised conservative Catholic in Kansas. You were raised uh, evangelical in Ohio. But without knowing it, we actually were in both in the same first box. We were given our explanation of what reality means, you know, what God means. And that's the easiest way to start, okay, by far. And it gives you so much comfort that most people want to stay in the first box forever. Mm -hmm. Now you're ready to know what we mean when we say we're saved by the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Most Christians say that, but they don't believe it. Right. They think they're saved by staying in the first box. You see? Oh, man. Yeah. Just keep redoing order as you were given it. And of course, as you were given it, you had to understand it in, in a childish way. You, like me, you were a child. Right. <laughs> so you pulled it into a very small world of certitude, and it's a dying. It's definitely a dying to leave mm. that. You know, when I had to leave my quick, early Catholic certitudes, uh, it, it, it feels, to be honest, like a loss of faith. And yes. It does. You use the term spiritual director, and if you don't have a good spiritual director, a wise guide, an elder in faith, you'll stay in the first box forever. And it basically creates angry people, rigid people, unhappy people. I don't know what else to say, but... Uh, I've seen them in all of our denominations. This is cross-denominational lines. It, it doesn't really matter what your first box is. But I want to repeat, as I do in Falling Upward, it's still the easiest way to begin. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's the best in some ways. But what has to happen, usually should happen, between your 30s, 40s, into your 50s, is the, the glib certitudes of the first box fall mm. They have to fall apart. Your glib certitudes about who's in and who's out, who's right and who's wrong, who's holy and who's a sinner. I know it gave your ego great comfort to have easy <laughs> lines. And I had them too. I had them too. But it's just not true. You know, if you're honest about your experience, if you're honest about where love is, let's just leave it at that. And you find love is in all kinds of places. And that's what I'm saying in the divine dance. This flow is in all kind of places that you were told it couldn't be. You know, <laughs> it shouldn't be. It dare not be. You, you see what we did? We took the place of God and we told God who he could love and where God could be and where God couldn't be. 
God wasn't in charge. We were in charge. Our theologies were in charge, you know, and each of us just had a different set of <laughs> certitudes. So this is the first great die, the moving into the second box. Now, here's the problem. So people don't just think I'm some progressive liberal unbeliever, right? <laughs> a lot of people stay in the second box of mm -hmm. disorder. Yeah. In fact, you're an exception. Most people your age were born into the second box. Sophisticated people from Boston and New York and California who dismiss. They've never been in the first box at all. You understand? Mm. It's all disorder. It's all meaninglessness. What we call postmodernism. Don't sure. you dare try to build any box for me. I won't accept it. It's much harder to grow up in the second box. It really is. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I was jail chaplain here for 14 years in Albuquerque. And almost everybody I met there, male and female, grew up in the second box. Uh, now more on the uh, other end of the spectrum where they grew up, life was just drugs and sex and rock and roll. And they all got in trouble and destroyed their lives in many ways ended up at 22 in jail, you know, wow. already having fathered a child or something. You just wanted to cry for them because it's not their fault. They just, they never had any box, you know, any deep meaning, any impulse control, the law, uh, any vision for reality. It was just getting through another day, getting through another day. Man. So I just want to say that. So people don't think I'm idealizing the second box. It's, it's a horrible way to begin. You almost always self-destruct. And it's not happy. You, you tend to become an addict to fill your emptiness. So, but if you were given the gift of the order, the first box, hopefully, and this is why so many young evangelicals hear me, I think, that wonderful early evangelical gospel holds you strong enough to endure the second box, you understand? To not throw out the baby with the bathwater, right? To say, okay, okay, it isn't as simplistic as I was told, but it's not all wrong either. You understand? There you go. Right. Yeah, yeah. Now that's what Jesus is doing with his own Israelites, you know? He's saying, here's what's good about our Jewish tradition, but you got to know a lot of it is pure legalism, ritualism, preoccupation with temple sacrifice, atonement theories that are all transactional, has nothing to do with real transformation of the psyche, you see. Mm. So if you can let God lead you through the second box while holding on to order what's necessary and essential, God can lead you to true enlightenment, true transformation, what I call the risen life, the transform life, or the third box, reorder, you see. Now, here's the thing, and I'll stop on this. I'm talking too long. No, it's uh, great. You're fine. <laughs> there's no nonstop flight from the first box to the third box. And that was much of the illusion of evangelicals. They mm. thought they could go to an emotional prayer meeting or whatever it was on a Friday night in May of whatever and I'm in the third box. Sorry, you hardly ever are. You are because yeah. you will not suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, to quote Shakespeare. 
of the second box. You will not undergo passion, death, and resurrection. You know, you try to fly to resurrection emotionally mm-hmm. by a, an emotional Jesus experience, and we did it too. We just did it differently as Catholics. But it's the shortcut that doesn't work. You see, you've got to go shoot through passion, death to resurrection. There's no way around it, no way around it. And people who will not endure this dying to their ego self, uh, the revealing of their real shadow self, this is the suffering of the middle of life. It really is. And so I'm so grateful when I hear young men like you can hear what I'm saying because you're not going to resist it nearly as much. Hmm. I don't know what form it'll take. I'm sure it's already taken some forms, but... You can't avoid absurdity, tragedy, dissonance, meaninglessness. And this is why so many people my age, frankly, are, are not very happy. <laughs> Even those in the church, they're, they're angry. We just saw it in the election. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want the first box at all costs. And they will deny all the reality of the world, of the second box which is almost all of the world, you know, (laughs) but insisting on the order of that they were given in Columbus, Ohio in 19, whatever, (laughs) it makes them love order. It doesn't make them love Jesus. Wow. And that's the genius of Jesus. Jesus, the crucified one who identifies with the poor, tells the, the outsider, Never have I found such faith inside in Israel. That's you see, awesome. You see why they killed him. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's so comfortable with disorder inside of his only his own highly ordered religion. But he never throws it out. He still respects the temple. He still seems to respect the priests, you know. But he doesn't waste much time there, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> you know, all of his teaching is out on the road, is uh, meeting the people. It isn't temple-based, but he doesn't dismiss the temple either. Can you see the, the tension he's holding? Yes. And, and that's the position you're in by still respecting the Bible. I, as a good Catholic, still respect well, it's not hard now with Pope Francis. We have, yeah. <laughs> we have an easy Pope to respect right now. But no, it's that's wonderful. so true. He's wonderful. Isn't he amazing? Yeah. He's really larger than life. I don't know how he got elected. I I, I, the same, and the same Cardinals elected him I, that elected Benedict. No, John and I have talked I, about that. Makes no sense. It makes no <laughs> sense. It's structurally unexplainable. <laughs> the Holy Spirit, yeah. So we're just praying he lasts a long time. Yes. And I've had to live with that same tension, you know, of, okay, what was good about the tradition I was given and what was accidental and arbitrary. Hmm. And when you go down that road, you'll discover a lot was accidental and arbitrary in all of our denominations. We had selective paying attention to some things and convenient ignorance or ignoring of other things. We all do it. No. Yeah. Oh Thank my you gosh. for that beautiful answer. Yeah. And and I think um, uh, you brought up the election a little bit, and I would like to touch on this just, just slightly. Um, I, I'm going to attempt to tie in some things that you said actually and falling upward to 
an article I read recently. Um, the article discussed um, this this study on society in regards to the fact that there seems to be the stigma now attached, especially in America and Western culture, to uh, being anything less than middle class. It's this uh, stigma of shame and uh, an embarrassment. Oh. Yep. And so they were they were looking at it from in, in regards to the fact that now there's this this person who's promising them that all your dreams can, can can come true and you can become a millionaire, you know, like me, you can become wealthy. And I, I just it, it made me immediately think of some things that you said in falling upward in regards to um, the people who don't go through a fall and and uh, experience what it has to teach them and and bringing balance. And it also made me think of uh, some things you said in regards to um, just the the negative side to this prosperity gospel that's been taught and preached throughout Western Western churches. So I wondered if you could kind of uh, give me your thoughts on on kind of what you see. Uh, yeah, we well, it does build on what I was just trying to say. We've idealized a certain kind of middle class order as if it's Christianity. <laughs> and mm. we've always done that. We've taken normalcy or the dominant co consciousness in any country, and we sort of baptize that. Well, that's what it means to be a Christian, you know? Mm. And it has very little patience with anybody who doesn't fit in that model, which ends up being most of the world. That's the Man. irony. By far most of the world. And so... I think your generation, which we call the millennials, one of the wonderful thing I see in the millennials is they're less and less patient with any religion that defines itself by exclusion. Yes. I'm afraid this is the great humiliation that we Christians have to suffer, that this is how most of the world sees us, Catholic or Protestant, evangelical. We're a religion preoccupied not with inclusion, which you, I mean, that's all you see in Jesus. That's He's all you see. Always going outside of his own group. How, how did we miss what's in plain sight? I mean, at this point, it's culpable ignorance. Culpable. <laughs> to, for people to say they love the Bible and they believe in the Gospels and read the Scriptures, which I am lucky enough to be able to preach on every Sunday. And I always say, how do people preach on this text and not see what is hidden in plain sight? That again, Jesus is praising the Samaritan, the Syrophoenician woman. It's always the outsider who is the hero of his stories. It's, it's, I shouldn't even need to say that. It's everywhere, you know? Yeah. But again, you're only able to see what you're told to pay attention to. Hmm. And we weren't told to pay attention to, you, you do realize he just said the only leper who came back and thanked him. What's the last line? And he was a Samaritan. <laughs> that's, oh. that's to insult uh, his his Jewish compatriots. So that the other nine were good Jews, they also got healed, but they never had the decency to say thank you. You know, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's story after story. So I think you know culture really teaches us more than religion. And there's an opening in culture right now for all of its failings and all of its addictions and all of its blindness. There's a, a dis-ease with the tribalism 
that most of us were raised in. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with spiral dynamics, but the different levels of consciousness, you don't need to know it. <laughs> the blue level is the fourth level out of nine levels of consciousness, you know. And mo I was raised at the blue level. You were probably raised at the blue level. It's basically tribal thinking, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's all self-referential to my group. You pull God inside your group. As you see me saying in Divine Dance, I mean, God is even an old white man with a white yeah. man. Even. Yeah. 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 It's so pathetic that we can't see that, that this, the great mystery of God is actually an old white man. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> can't see the tribalism of that, you know? Uh, Looking amazingly like Santa Claus, you know, making yeah, it, true. checking it twice, going to find out who's naughty or nice. In fact, it's almost identical to Santa Claus. That's not even an exaggeration. No, it's not. The revelation of the Trinitarian God that Jesus came to give us has had little effect on forming Western civilization. It really has. But I, I don't say that to blame anybody. I just don't think consciousness was ready. For the great Christ, for the great, for a God that was bigger than America and bigger than Roman Catholicism or whatever your tribe was. Right. We pulled him inside of our group and we made him follow our rules and we made him into a hymn. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. Has to be beyond gender. That should be sort of obvious, I would think. But, but it is <laughs> obvious to, to most people. I mean, I ha I'll have Catholics write letters to the bishop. Uh, Richard said that God is not a man. And they don't realize how stupid they just sounded. Of course, God is not a man. You know? <laughs> 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 but they were never told to pay attention to that. So it's not their fault. It's not their fault. Yes, you did. Yeah, no, that was beautiful. I, I feel like I feel like the more I hear you talk, the more I feel like you have a lot in common with Carl Rahner. <laughs> oh, you've read Rahner, Mike. Oh, absolutely. I love Rahner. <laughs> he was one of my major uh, theological influences. Oh my I goodness! Studied, I was studying theology in Dayton, Ohio, in the nineteen yeah. sixties, and uh, you know the Vatican Council had just ended, and Rahner was one of the great minds that formed. Uh the documents of Vatican II. So, and my professors were over there studying in Rome under him. So I got second level contact with, I used to visit his tomb in Innsbruck. I was oh. in German in Innsbruck years ago. And uh, there he's buried. And I'd go to his tomb and say, give me just a little bit of your intelligence. <laughs> your Whisper to me, Carl. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, he. Uh, I. It, it's funny that you say that. I'm. I'm actually in seminary currently in in oh. studying, getting my my graduate level degree in theology, and that's one of the the theologians we were exposed to. And I thought, wow, it, it's contrary to to the stigma of of uh, Catholicism, you know, just not being as progressive as as you would think. And here's this guy, Carl oh. Rahner, doing incredible things within the Catholic Church in the '60s. In the '60s, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm great. What's your uh, seminary that you're in? Uh, Fuller. 
out in uh, Pasadena. Yeah. Oh, I've taught there, you know, a few. I did not. Summer classes. Yeah. Yeah. I just walked around the campus a few months ago when I was teaching at All Saints in Pasadena. Oh, Oh, wow. Wonderful. Did you go there too, Adam? No, no. No, no. No, my my seminary program was local. It was uh, through through my church. I'm part of the we're part of the vineyard movement of churches. Oh, wow! Yeah. You know, right around the corner from where I'm living here, there's a vineyard. And oh I yeah! Drove by it right before I I uh, got on this call, and apparently the center is going to buy that vineyard. So we're actually literally going to have a p- two acres of land that are a vineyard. That's awesome. <laughs> That's so cool. The center is growing too quickly, so we need a little more space. We anyway, are happy, happy to hear that. Oh no, no! I, I, you, uh, you gave me a perfect chance to uh, to ask you a question. I think that'll transition nicely into um, your latest work. Um, you, you threw out a concept a while back when I first was exposed to your work that I have ever since been fascinated with, um, and and that is this idea of uh, the cosmic Christ. Oh. And, and That's it just made so much sense. Yeah. Oh gosh, I cannot wait. I'm reminded uh, by God's grace in April and May of, of next year. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, Go ahead. I can't wait. So, so this idea, I, I would love for you to unpack that for our listeners because I, I imagine that most people listening have no idea what that even means. And it, and it reminded me a little. And maybe he was influenced. I'm not sure. But uh, uh, Ramon Panikar. Uh, My God. Yeah, you have a great mind. You read magnificent people. Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> no, I was, I was just going to say, uh, Panikar talks about this idea of uh, universal Christ, in particular Jesus, or Jesus is Christ, but Christ is not Jesus. And immediately, it, it, it made me think back to your explanation of the cosmic Christ. So I would just love for you to kind of just talk okay. about that for a little. It's going to be very oversimplified, so don't. That's okay. If it feels a little confusing, first. <laughs> So this book, if God gives me the year to write it, uh, is going to be the sequel to the Divine Dance. So oh. the Divine Dance is getting us back to Trinitarian Christianity. That's the fundamentum, the foundation. Until Christianity is Trinitarian, again, we have no hope of reforming it from the bottom up. And I mean that literally, from the bottom up. Uh, if you get the shape of God wrong, Everything built on top of it is awry, is askew, you see. So the first thing you got to get straight after the Trinity, and we didn't have time to talk about that. That's fine. But, okay, we pull Jesus out of the Trinity. Then, and I don't mean any disrespect, you know how much I love Jesus. It's the heart of my belief, my worldview. But we overplayed the Jesus card because that's all we have. You understand? We didn't Mm. have the Trinity anymore. Uh-huh. And so we base salvation on an atonement that happened 2,000 years ago, supposedly, instead of basing it in creation. Right? Mm. In other words, instead of starting with Genesis 1, which is where we should have started, and it was very good, very good, and it was very good, and it was very good, and it was very good, said, well, five times. We started with Genesis 3, which is not a good place to start, right? Yeah. Starting with the problem instead of the creation. But that's when you overplay the Jesus card, you don't have the creator in the schema anymore. You understand? It's just Jesus, all right? <laughs> and it's Jesus, 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 and I'm all for Jesus, but you've got to connect him to the Father and the Holy Spirit, and that changes everything. 
That changes yeah. the whole dynamic, the whole agenda coming forth from the Father, taking us back with him where I am. You also must be and will be. I have come to take you with me. We've got to redo our scheme of salvation. So the Christ, now you, you, you know the scriptures better than we Catholics do. The Christ, it says very clearly in the prologue to John's gospel, in the first hymn in the first chapter of Colossians, in the first chapter of Ephesians, in the first paragraph of Hebrews, in the first paragraph of 1 John, it's always the first. It says the Christ existed from the very beginning, yes. from all eternity. All right. We just didn't notice that for some reason. Now, we uh. at the Franciscan school, we always emphasize that, you know, St. Francis, I don't know how much you know about him, but he was not an intellectual. He was a simple Italian layman who intuitively got the gospel, not through academia, not by going to a seminary. He was never ordained a priest. But then very quickly, the early Franciscan tradition tried to build upon the deep intuition of this natural spiritual genius, you know. Mm. And uh, those are the names you don't need to know, Bonaventure, John Duns Scotus, you hear me quote them. All right. They took this, and our Christology was much more the cosmic Christ, because Francis found God in creation. Yeah. Brother Sun, Sister Moon, Sister Fox, Brother Water, Sister Air. The entire universe was the Christ, the body of Christ, which is rather clear in Paul, especially Romans 8. Yeah. Again, we weren't told to pay attention to that. So I agree. You and I were given the impression that the incarnation happened 2,000 years ago. No, the incarnation happened 13.6 billion years ago. <sighs> we, we call it the Big Bang. You understand that God decided it. I mean, this is arbitrary. This is just human language. But it seems that approximately 13.6 billion years ago, God decided to manifest the God self. And the same atoms that existed then, I'm told, not A-D-A-M-A-T-O-M, -A the same atoms existed then, exist now. Isn't that amazing? And they've just kept changing shape and changing form. And this universe is still expanding. And in fact, the evidence is from the Hubble telescope, it's expanding at a higher rate. Yeah. Yes. I don't know how to deal with that. You know, no. <laughs> it just keeps moving. So we have to have a God and we have to have a Christ that is at least as big as that universe. Do you understand? Come on, man. Or we're going to just keep creating unbelievers. We're going to keep, you go off to university, university of, Ohio, and you're going to come back an atheist because we've got a God who was born between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, you know, 2000 years ago. Well, does that mean everything before that, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Mayans, the were all just throwaways? God didn't create them too. It's impossible. Come on, man. Yeah. You have to start with creation. So we call this creation spirituality, you know, or the cosmic Christ. That that now I believe, and so so anybody listening doesn't think I'm throwing out Jesus. I believe that consciousness evolved when approximately two thousand years ago, 
humanity was mature enough at the most mature levels, uh, especially in Israel, where there's this immense spiritual consciousness of God, <clears throat> excuse me, to be ready for an I-thou encounter. One, mm. as First John says, that we could see and touch and love and relate to. So the great cosmic Christ became personal, right? became incarnate in a, as a human being. But that wasn't the beginning of the incarnation. That was the personalization of the incarnation, where God became interfaced with you and me. But the Christ in the Trinity has existed since all eternity, became manifest, we believe, 14 billion years ago. And of course, some say that, although it was condemned as a heresy at one point, that the universe has to be seen as eternal. Of course, you and I can't imagine anything eternal. So we don't know how to think outside of the realm of time. So we really don't know how to think that. But that's what the next book is going to be on, to try to unpackage this notion of Genesis 1. You know, the very first chapter, uh, chapter uh, verses, if you look at that verb in Genesis 1, 2, it's, it's usually translated as the spirit hovering over yeah. chaos, hovering. The verb that's used is the verb that's used to describe a brood hen. Yeah. Other hen warming the eggs, you know. We should have been the first people to believe in evolution. I mean, it's sort of validated in the first verse of the Bible that God is warming this creation. You understand? It's like an egg. <laughs> and God is setting it loose to hatch and to develop and to unfold. And yet, with our static notion of God, with a God as an inert substance sitting on a cloud somewhere. We fought evolution. We didn't have a, an energetic, dynamic notion of God as one who was involved in creation, with creation, overseeing our unfolding and taking us back with him mm. into the bosom of the Father. So our, our notion of salvation was pretty competitive, pretty exclusionary. Uh, people would say it was much more based on a, uh, a worldview of scarcity yeah. instead of a worldview view of abundance. And the mm. notion of grace is a notion of absolute abundance. You know, all the multiplication stories of Jesus, there's always 12 baskets left over. There's always yeah. abundance, abundance, abundance. But we operate and we catholics have to take the first blame for this we can't blame it on you guys who came later <laughs> uh, we gave you this of basically there wasn't enough of god to go around that's a worldview of scarcity there yep. isn't enough grace to go around there isn't enough love to go around we couldn't imagine infinity now let me stop on this to be a little uh, compassionate and understanding. I'm told that the human mind cannot imagine infinity. It can't. Any any notion of eternity, infinity, where you say endless, the mind just closes down. Right? We, yeah. we can't think that. So it's literally only when you allow God to think in you that you can surrender to a notion of abundance. Otherwise, 
we will always take the gospel and we'll put it in some little frame that's usually tribal. Yeah. The Jews did it. We Catholics imitated the Jews. And I'm sorry to say, you evangelicals imitated the Catholics. We, For sure. Yep. Because it's the same pattern. It's always the I, same. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. But in every group, in Judaism, in Catholicism, in evangelicalism, in mainline Protestantism, there's always individuals who break out of that. You know, and it's usually by their own experience of amazing grace. You know, yes, that's the only way you can break out of it. That's beautiful. The splinter that always stuck out in my mind in my Protestant Christology and in my Protestant atonement theories in Scripture was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Excellent. Like, what do you do with that if you're going to stick with this? That's essential. I'm going to quote that in my book. Yeah. Uh, it's like, what do you do? How do you, what do you mean? Your, your formula doesn't make any sense if we're going to take anything from that verse. Uh, excellent. Uh-huh. This has been the self-emptying of God since the beginnings of time. Beautiful. The Trinity is God keeps emptying and infilling, emptying and filling between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the circle dance, and that's why I entitled the book The Divine Dance. Well, let's talk about that just a little bit. I'd love just a cursory intro in our few minutes left. Uh, the first right. alluring thing that you say that I think is a great place to start, you'd mentioned it a minute ago, is that, you know, our Christianity, because we don't understand Trinity, is largely pagan, and that leaves us crippled. Talk about yeah, that. What, yeah. what do you mean? In that same section toward the beginning of the book, I point out how I, I was the last generation of priests that had to learn Latin. And, of course, the Latin word for God is Deus, D-E-U-S. Now, it doesn't take much imagination to recognize that's a direct transliteration of Zeus, you know, Zeus mm. is the pagan god sitting on a throne, throwing down thunderbolts at people he didn't like. It, I mean, just read Western Christian history. There's yeah. a lot of the great art in Europe in the cathedrals. Literally, Jesus is now on the throne, even in the Sistine Chapel. <laughs> He's not happy. He's upset. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so you have this upset god who creates an unsafe universe you know if the one who created it all is not love but is whimsical in the ways of love is pick and choose in the ways of love you've created i'm going to bring it home to the kind of unsafe angry world that we've seen in america in the last 14 months Mm. how can christianity produce so many paranoid angry people we've got to answer for this, you know? Yeah, man. Well, well, when God, when God is presented as an eternal torturer, who's making a list, checking it twice, going to find out who's naughty or nice. When you never move beyond Santa Claus in your notion of God, you become the God you worship. Here's what it comes down to. If God is pissed off, excuse me, uh, If God is angry most of the time, and especially, you know, you're familiar perhaps with my men's work, which all started 20 years ago by so many men coming to talk to me about their angry father or their rejecting father, which you two are obviously not going to be. Much of humanity was programmed, absolutely programmed, to believe in a rageaholic God. Mm. 
the, uh, that was most of the man they knew. That was what a man was supposed to be in most of history till sort of your generation. Yeah. You know, that's what it was to be a man, to be power hungry and showing your power and uh, demonstrating it on your children. Mm -hmm. Well, we never move much beyond that, you know, unless one has an inner life of prayer that really transforms and rewires this. You can see, and this gives me tremendous sympathy for most human beings. It really does. Most people just operate out of the way their brain works. Yeah. You can give them all the gospel sermons you want, and they'll pull it inside of the way their brain works. You totally. They do it. And I've seen it in myself, you know, yep, me and I'm too. 73 and I'm still, oh my God, Richard, you, you regress to your early, <laughs> early conditioning because that's the way your brain works. So this is why the whole life of the spirit, the life of healing prayer is, is not just an accidental add on. It's essential or there is no real transformative religion. It oh. just, you overlay the gospels on the way your brain works <laughs> and what wins out is the way your brain works. Absolutely. And I say that after being a spiritual director my whole life and you start with people and uh, what the, what they were told in Sunday school or catechism in our church really doesn't make much difference. It really doesn't make much difference. They will revert and regress back to the way their mom and their dad exercised authority yeah. The way their mom and their dad punished, the way their mom and their dad's love was conditional, and they create a codependency of God with God, which really isn't very life giving. It's it's codependency. Yeah, which, level of relationship is I'm sure you know. So I'm not saying that to put down people. I I just know how great God's love must be that He recognizes. And most of us are most of us are still in jail, and we don't want to be taken out of it. The jail is the first box, or the chaos of the second box. Both of them are different kind of jails. Yeah. The first one is called more the conservative jail. The second one is more called the liberal jail, but they're both jails. And you and I have been talking about the box that it's possible to live a resurrected life, you know. Was that the what did you ask? <laughs> uh, it just doesn't. Yeah, you've, of course you answered it, and then some. Yeah, yeah. I just take off, but thank you for letting. I love it. Well, I love it. You're beautiful. That you're so open. Uh, well, we 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 certainly want to be sensitive to your time. Um, this is uh, like like Adam said it's earlier. Plan. It's only yeah. five to four here. Uh, oh, okay. okay. Two more. No. Well, we. We we just have one final question for you, and again, this is this has been an absolute dream come true for us. So we we so appreciate you taking some time out of your your very busy schedule to speak with us. I'm enjoying you. Go ahead. Oh, thank you, thank you. A That's big Christmas hug. Huge compliment to us. <laughs> your need. Thank you. So so there's a question that we used to we used to end every show on, and we kind of got away from it, but um, we just feel like you'd be the perfect person to kind of speak to this, and that is that. Uh, our listenership is a very diverse group of people um, of all different ages, of all different backgrounds. 
um, all the way from very, uh, you know, uh, fundamentalist, uh, very certain, uh, all the way to the other end of the spectrum, yes, very yeah. non-religious and anti, anti-religion. Sure. Um, but, that's but all, both sides probably preaching the gospel. If that whole spectrum uh, can stay with you, that's good. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh. oh no. Uh, so, so the, the big thing is that they're all, I think the commonality between both sides is that they're, they're, they're hungry. They're hungry for yeah. something. Uh, and so we just wondered if you could take a moment to pretend like as if both sides were in a room and, and oh. you had a chance to speak to both sides and, and just, what would you say? You know, what's coming to mind, I don't know if it's the best thing is I think we both on both ends of the spectrum, we both need a lot more humility. Oh, that's so good. A lot more humility about what we know and what we don't know. Uh, and this arrogance around knowing. You know, I, I think it's what we were warned against in Genesis again. Genesis has to be inspired. It really does. I agree. Uh, you, you, If you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will most surely die. I mean, that's an amazing line, an amazing line, because, I mean, most of us who went to seminary, like I did too, I had four years of moral theology, specifically moral theology, deciding who was right and who was wrong, who was in and who was out. Now, there's a place for that, to make your thinking a little more subtle and a little more nuanced. Mm. Unfortunately, it, we just use it to make ourselves a little more certain not a little more subtle and a little more nuanced because uh, that's what the ego does. You've probably heard me say the ego wants two things. It wants to be separate and it wants to be superior. All right. Mm. That's its whole task. It's whole life. Keep me separate from these peons, these uh, inferior people. And, uh, and we'll create that at every level. Another way to be superior to the other guy. And, um, uh, to uh, to define ourselves in contradistinction to them. I'm not Protestant. I'm not gay. I'm not uh, Mexican. See, that's, that's the only game the ego knows. And yeah. the soul is exactly the opposite. You know, my brother is the gay man. My brother is the Mexican man. My, but that's the second half of life wisdom. And I'm afraid that because our religions have not taught us humility, which for St. Francis was central, central, uh, we've kept a lot of our religion in the first half of life. We keep doing the task of the first half of life, order, order, over and over and over again, <clears throat> even when it's not working for us. That's Man. Even when it makes us reject our own children, our own parents, our own family. Uh, I mean, people do the most stupid things in the name of love of God. It just, <laughs> I yeah. can't believe what uh, the so-called love of God leads uh, Christians to do. Man. So humility, you can never go wrong with humility. You really can't, you know? And this is the kenosis, Philippians 2, the self-emptying of God. Uh, you know, if you read Divine Dance, you don't need to, but, you know, I say somewhere in the book, that I think half of our official church prayers in my church begin with the same dang phrase, Almighty God. Almighty and not all vulnerable. Now, not yeah. say Almighty God. That's <laughs> how untrinitarian we are. Because if we had gazed on the mystery of the Trinity, 
that the infilling can only happen because there's been the self-emptying. Each, the Father empties out into the Son, makes room for the Spirit to pour into the Father. This water wheel of love, we have to balance almighty with all vulnerable, you see. And because we haven't done that, hardly any of our church prayers, I don't know any of the official ones, I don't know a single one, that begins with all vulnerable God, you know. If we had started at least half of our prayers with recognizing both sides of the mystery of God, I'll go so far as to say, I don't think we would have created atheism, agnosticism, secularism, because if if God is almighty, then why Syria? Why? Mm. Why the Holocaust? Right. But if, if half of God is all vulnerable, means that God suffers. And that's, of course, what was revealed on the cross, that God is in solidarity with every act of human suffering since the beginning of time. Suddenly we have an empathetic God, a, a God who is not out there but totally incarnate. And, of course, that's even hard for us to imagine. How could God suffer? But suddenly we have God empathetic with every act of human suffering since Cain and Abel, to use human history or biblical history. But what that does, and I hope I can just draw it together with this, is it shows that God is humble too. Mm. And, and that's even a word. Now, Francis loved to call God humble. But in most of history, that is not a word we applied to God. God was almighty. But God was yeah. So we, that's why we idealize all this power and money and war and rich people and there you go. billionaires running our country. Because basically we want to be billionaires. We want to climb upward. You become the God you worship. Now, if we can recognize God is all suffering, all vulnerable, we'll stop exclusively looking to the top of the pile. And we'll start looking at the little homeless man on the street and saying he is just as much an image of Christ, maybe even more so. <laughs> it, it changes your way of paying attention entirely, entirely. So humility is the key, I think, to both the left and the right. And thank you for letting me end on that, because you know a lot of people think I'm this progressive liberal theologian. And if you listen to me long enough, I critique the liberal end just as much as the rigid conservative end, because the lack of any boundaries is its own kind of problem. Creates another set of problems. Oh, Richard. Your your humility in listening to me, and uh, you've got to come out to the land of enchantment someday. Oh, no question. That's, that's an invitation that's going to be very difficult to pass up, <laughs> yeah. my friend. Bring your little ones with you, too. Good. Oh, oh, absolutely. Man. They would love that. Well, before, before we let you go, um, what, what is the best way for, for our listeners to keep tabs on what you're up to and, and find this latest book, The Divine Dance? Well, the easiest thing, I guess, is to give you our, our website, cac.org, Center for Action and Contemplation, C-A-C. Uh, there they can find out all they need to to know. Yeah, Fantastic. We have a little Perfect. visitor center here. They're most welcome to stop by. Uh, two little adobes right around the corner from where I'm living right here. 
So we'd love to have you. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. This has been an absolute joy and, uh, and you are such a gift. So thank you. Thank you very much. Just know when you say that you're saying more about you than you are about me. (laughs) It takes a joyful person to pull the joy out of me. So thank you. Oh, thank you. I don't even have words and all our (laughs) listeners know that that is really saying something. Yeah. That's never been a problem for Adam. (laughs) You're both beautiful. God bless you. Have a beautiful evening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Father Richard. Yes, thank you. All those All those who dream Are saved Are saved Are Well, that was worth everything that I, I don't even know. Like that. (laughs) It's like, you you know, like sometimes you, you build something up for so long, like, like a really good movie. Like, oh yeah. Like, uh, what was the, shoot, I always forget the name of it. It's a Ben Stiller movie from way back in the day with Cameron Diaz in it. Something about Mary. Yeah. Everybody had built that movie up to be so funny. Then when I saw it, I'm like, this is dumb. Yeah. Like didn't I did not like it, and I think it was because everybody else ran it for me. Or like Black Sheep after Tommy Boy. Not yeah, probably <laughs> probably okay in its own right, but like following that, not yeah, as good. Can't do it. With this interview, I was kind of a little bit worried because we've read obviously a lot of his stuff. Like you know, I follow him, I get his daily affirmations, whatever in my email. I read like everything, I get my hands on, follow the tweets, all that good stuff, and um, was really worried. I'm like, man, what if? What if it's complete letdown? What if he really just gets on there and just starts yelling at us for being stupid? <laughs> you know, like you need to stop deconstructing immediately. Knock it off, you! I'm using a Jedi mind trick on you. <laughs> That's right. But he do it in that really soothing voice, like you're being irresponsible, John and Adam. And I'd be like, Oh no, okay, sorry. And then we have to stop. You know? No, this was incredible. Wow. I mean, it really, it really, really was. Just uh, again. If if I could just say, I think the one of the things that moved me to a place of wanting to deconstruct is it just seemed like there were only certain things allowable to think right. at a certain time in my spiritual life. There were only th- certain people allowable to read. There were only there was when you listen to Roar, you get this wide, brave, generous, welcoming. The guy's not scared. No. The, like, here's a guy that I can honestly say, maybe the first and only person I've ever actually had the privilege of, you know, face-to-face, like, even though it was over Skype, but, like, face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball talking to, that I'm like, I think this is the most certain of God's love person I've ever met in my entire life. Just and, purely just certain that God is love. Just Boom. And the weirdest part about that, though, is he's so centered in this uh, sense of like unknowing mystery, ambiguity, and totally, totally cool with it. Totally cool with it. And I think to your point, like when I first started reading Falling Upward, um, I got to the middle of it and I was like, he talks about how, you know, you you start journeying, going down this journey and he compares it to the hero's journey. He, He pulls in some Joseph Campbell and he talks about how like, you know, in your mid 30s. This is when this begins. And I'm mm-hmm. like, 
holy crap. Yeah. I'm in my mid to late 30s. And so he was the first one that said, it's okay. Mm-hmm. This is normal. Right. And necessary. Mm-hmm. For you to, to to shed, you know, your your old false self and this false identity that's not really you. Right. And in, in, in an effort to go on this journey and to find the name that God gave you that mm-hmm. you've just forgotten about. Yeah. And he does it in such beautiful, this loving language. It's just like this big old snuggie. Yeah. And it's like it, in our like I remember hearing Donald Miller give a talk a while back where he was just like, I wonder what the gospel would look like if we weren't a democratic, free market, money and power driven society with like mass media and commercialization and like all these kinds of things. Because in that kind of society, it's almost impossible to not have an agenda with whatever you're talking about. An agenda for yourself, an agenda for your tribe, an agenda for greatness or power or control or whatever. And most of the bad taste I have in my mouth with most most religious authors or figures at some point or another probably comes down to that. I'm like, you're just being a control freak. Yeah. And with Roar, you talk to him, you read him, you listen to him, and you just feel like the guy's trying to be honest and take care of you. And he's not worried about what the tribe is going to say. He's not worried about what you know, whoever is, he doesn't have an agenda. It doesn't seem like other than just showing you the love of God the best he possibly can and using whatever means necessary to do that. Yeah. And I I hope that, that we in some way have, have taken a little bit of that and infused it into our podcast. And Adam and I, believe me, we have lots of conversations and we're always like second guessing ourselves in regards to making sure that that we're not just trying to create some new vehicle uh, for for Christianity or for anything. We're we're just trying to be as open and as honest and as welcoming um, as we can be to anyone, right. regardless of your background, regardless of the baggage, the religious baggage that you bring with you. And and we really hope that that's been obvious and evident in the work that we've done. And we've we've you know we've tried to stay away from from the bitterness that is inherent. I think in in having you know, negative experiences within the church. And, and, uh, we've just tried to be, um, you know, as, as gentle and as, and as, uh, calculated is not the word I'm looking for, but is, um, cautious, cautious. Yes. Yeah. Responsible. Yes. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of how we pick guests and, and the conversations and the topics that we cover. And, and that's something that, that we will, continue to try to do going forward um into 2017 although at this point i have no clue how we're going to top this year (laughs) (laughs) well we're allowed one mic drop moment i guess (laughs) that's right (laughs) obama's not busy this year right not not at all he's he's unemployed we'll get him and oprah and you know the dalai lama (laughs) right so like bishop desmond tutu oh dude that would be awesome (laughs) that'd be awesome (laughs) Oh man, this is just Merry Christmas, everybody. This is just such a blast for us. And if you've been with us uh, for a while this year, you've been following, you've been a part of this conversation. It's helped you in any way. We just want to say we love you, thank you. Um, your your journey should be full of um, beauty and wonder and excitement and uh, joy, and not full of fear and not full of uh, wondering if you're doing the quote unquote right or wrong thing. You should should be getting out there and having lots of conversations and digging in and, and not worrying about where uh, your questions are going to take you, but answering or asking them honestly and, 
if you've been able to do that here, you just made our whole year. Yep. Yeah. So hopefully, um, this week being Christmas, whether or not you celebrate it or not, um, you know, hopefully that, you know, at the very least you get to spend time with some family or some loved ones or, you know, some sort of community that you feel safe with. And, uh, hopefully you get to just to say thanks for the things that, that you have and, uh, you know, the people around you. And, uh, as always, thank you so much for any support you guys give us. Um, we don't do commercials intentionally and, um, any money we make off the sweet t-shirts, um, <laughs> we make a little bit of profit off of that. And we use that, um, you know, for, to put back into the podcast and, and to make new writing. t-shirts and to make new t-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> so we still have some left of, of the, uh, uh, the eighties vintage throwback, uh, t-shirts. We have literally two left of the original logo design. Um, so if we, if you guys are interested in a particular size that we no longer have, please email us. So I know that, you know, that there's enough, uh, interest out there to, to reorder those. Yeah. We don't need an, a ton. I think what you need like 12? batch of like 12 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. we can, Hey, what sweet tunes are we listening to right now? Oh, this week it's young oceans. Uh, Eric like from young me. oceans, uh, super good dude. And was nice enough to let us use his music. And, uh, so if you're ever in New York, um, uh, check out Young Oceans. They do uh, tons of shows there, and I think he leads worship at one of the Trinity Grace churches there. I think. Boom shakalaka, if I remember correctly. So yeah, check out our T-shirts under the donate tab. Um, if you feel inclined to donate, but more so than that, um, if if you if you really want to help us out, um, leave us a five star review on iTunes. That just helps us get more exposure. And as always, um, we are taking a break in January, <laughs> so. Um, you're not if there's no episodes during january we are taking a much needed break and uh trying to figure out what 2017 is going to look like so don't worry we got some good stuff on the way absolutely so merry christmas merry christmas everybody and a happy new year grace and peace to you and uh thanks for being with us love keep, you guys keep deconstructing <laughs> we'll see you
心。